Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. This week, we're getting dirty with a dozen of our closest friends. And most of them are not going to make it to the end, y'all. Spoiler no. alert. Uh-uh. We watched The Dirty Dozen from 1967. Before we get started, how was your week? It was very busy and very active. Very busy and very active, yes indeed. We are still recording earlies. Mm-hmm. We had a guest in the area from Europe, <laughs> from Europe, and she has now left. And we're sort of, um, you're sort of getting back into your groove now. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I am. How about you? How was your week? Good. Mm. At some point, I will have gone away and come back again. We're doing the best we can. We're trying to stay busy, but not too busy. You know, the huge. Good. You know, you know what I like trying to figure out? What? How to spell that. Huge. Yes, we don't have that sound very often. Usually we put a Z in where it goes, like Azure. But. Just like spell y- luge and take the L away. U-G-E? That's how it's But spelled. I feel like if you saw U-G-E, you would not pronounce it huge. I think you'd pronounce it uggy. <laughs> you made a face. All right. You want to talk about this movie? Yes, I do. Okay. Y'all, we watched The Dirty Dozen. And by The Dirty Dozen, I mean The Suicide Squad in World War II. Right. That's basically what this is. Uh, and uh, they almost all die, y'all. It's, it's rough. <laughs> it's, um, I've read a lot about the film today. Oh, yeah? You want to you wanna start? Um, well, no, no. I mean, I can add things along the way. It's just, it's, it was a, the same things that, issues that you had with it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so my, I, uh-huh. I fell asleep for a big chunk in the middle, and then I rewatched it. Yesterday, yes, I fell asleep because I was a little too high when we started watching it. That's what happens. It's fine. Um, but also, the tone mm-hmm. and pacing of this movie is real weird. Because this is a movie about military criminals who have been sentenced to either 30 years of hard labor or death. Right. For their crimes by the army, the U.S. Army, during World War II, basically sent on a suicide mission into France. Um, and it's a comedy. <laughs> it's got real Hogan's Hero vibes. <laughs> like it's it, and every time something happens, the way that something happens is, hey, we're going to do this. And then they do that thing. Then they move on to the next thing. Like, I kept thinking, oh, I missed something. And I'm like, no, they said the thing, they did the thing, they moved on to the next thing. Like, it's it's not particularly nuanced. <laughs> it doesn't have a lot of depth. Not a lot of character development, which is probably okay because you do kill 11 of the 12 of the right. dozen. So, um, I don't necessarily want to get too close to them. I was very sad when, um, uh, hold on. Jefferson mm-hmm. died, played by, um, Jim Brown. Uh, 
I was like, I want him to make it to the end. It was very clear he didn't even fucking need to be in this situation in the first place. And he almost makes it out. And he fucking takes care of the psychopath. Like, he is the good guy, and then he doesn't make it. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) so upset. So, um... But it's just kind of baffling because I'm just like, this is a war movie, and the, filled with this is the, the criminals and murderers. Um, the tone of the film is one that has been in dispute since the film was made, and like whether the tone is appropriate or right. what the tone is, because um, the tone's fairly clear. Roger Ebert. Yes. Oh, I was going to read his thing, time. and I didn't. Yeah. He says, "I." Uh, Here's how they do it. The U.S. Army singles out 12 really tough guys, murderers and rapists and men like that, and assigns them to wipe out a chateau where a lot of German officers spend their holidays. Yes. Before the big mission, the Dirty Dozen train under the leadership of Lee Marvin. Right. There's some nice, amusing scenes, especially one where one of the dozen, it's Donald Sutherland, he's singled oh, yeah. out, pretends to be a general and yes. respects the troops. In fact, right up till the last scene, the movie is amusing, well-paced, and intelligent. And then he goes on to explain what we're going to explain in the future, so I'm not going to get to it right then. But it's like, this is... It's 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 so it's strange. really almost graphic at the end. It and is graphic. It right. is. It, especially with what happens with Telly Savalas' character. Right. I mean... It's... And he's a problem the whole time. Right. Guys. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, at the end of it, I was like, I don't know. Like... Like, if I could watch the whole movie up to, like, the last five minutes, uh-huh. or when he, actually, when he grabs that the woman, right up until Telly Savalas grabs the Characters lady. whose name is Maggot, by the his way. His name is Maggot. Like, his, his actual character name is Maggot, and I'm like, well, he's the only one that's, like, probably should just be killed, right? <laughs> um, and he, he, his crime, for which he has been sentenced to death, is the rape and murder of a woman. Right. And he has these psychopathic religious uh, thoughts that uh, intrude on all all of his daily... It's like the... If there was a descendant to um, Robert Mitchum's character in... Oh, in uh, A Night of the Hunter? Right. This is that guy. He has his own weird connection... To some kind of god, some who kind of god, urging him to is, punish these women. He for their believes sins. that women right. are, by dint of existing, filthy, derisive right. creatures who need to be killed. Like Had he survived this film, his character could have run for Congress. Absolutely, and um, would have won. Right, he would have won his own state. But uh, anyhow, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Because so, so he is the sort of the dark line through mm. this whole thing. And once he does what he does in the climactic scene, right. it's sort of all downhill from there, right? Like that's yeah. But up until then, this movie is really fun. And then we just in the last twelve minutes, it's not very long even. No. The last twelve minutes we take a hard left turn and everybody dies. Except well, Charles no, Bronson. No, 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 because we're going to get there anyway. Okay. Everyone dies except Charles Bronson and Lee Marvin. Right. Oh, and the MP. He, I don't, he makes it too. Um, who I kept 
calling the beef because he looks like Which a grown-up so Jerry Mathers. Because <laughs> if me. you see him, uh, there's a film call, um, Once Before Dying, I think, with John Derrick and Ursula Andress, and he's really athletic and very muscular. He's actually a really sort of athletic, fun actor. I like okay. watching his performances. He was nominated for an Academy Award at one point. He did a film um, with Paul Newman called mm. Sometimes a Great Notion. What a terrible title. Well, it was based on a Ken Kesey book. You and, can change uh, the title. <laughs> uh, he has a frightening scene. It terrified me when I saw it as a kid where he, they're loggers. Uh-huh. And he is trapped in like a pond with a log on top of him that's slowly rolling him over. Woof. So he's being pulled under the water. Oh, God. And there's this prolonged conversation where um, Paul Newman's character is leaning up against the log, trying to push it up. And it's just rolling over this guy, and he's able to keep it up before it sinks further. Um, he can't go under and around? No? There's just... And, oh, wow. And so while they send people for help, this guy knows he's going to die. Yeah. He has this whole long conversation. Yeah. Well, I can... Paul Newman's character tells me that's every other episode of nine one one. You guys, this happens in every other episode of nine one one. We're like, oh no, we like him. He's gonna die horribly, but we're gonna hear the end of his life. <laughs> but it's, it, he really is an interesting actor. I was mentioning yeah. to you before that he went to Japan and they loved him there. Yeah, because he would just threw himself. He's very physical. Yeah, in all of his parts, and even there's a scene in this film where he jumps from a parapet and mm. you just have this sort of empty frame. And he comes from the top of it, so mm-hmm. he must have jumped at least six feet into frame, yeah. ready for action. Yeah. To me, he always looked like a G.I. Joe doll yeah. or something. Yes, yeah, I could see that. But his but, face, and you don't see much of him because he's in an MP uniform with the mm-hmm. helmet basically every single right. time you see him. And his face just looks like old beaver. I don't know. It's weird. Um, so this movie starts at the beginning, as most do, uh, with... Lee Marvin, Major John Reisman. I didn't know his name was John until right now. Mm. Uh, Basically being reprimanded and given this new duty. So he... He does what needs doing whether or not it is strictly by the book. (laughs) That That is his general M.O. And he has basically run afoul of is it is he a major creed? The dude that like is his breed, not creed. So right at the beginning we have Lee Marvin who is basically our protagonist. He's the major John Reisman. He is a man who... I'm going to cut that whole thing out before. He's a man who basically does what needs doing, maybe extrajudiciously. And he has basically run afoul of a colonel who has brought him in front of a general Mm -hmm. who is giving him new orders. Um, That general is Ernest Borgnine, y'all. And... uh, it's weird to see Ernest Borgnine in charge of some shit and not just a doofy fuck up. Right. <laughs> so that's fun. He's in like three scenes in this movie because they keep having sort of check-ins like, right. oh, he's fucking up or, oh, he's right on track or whatever it is. So they're given a mission. Yes, I'm going to give you a bunch of men who have been basically condemned to go into France just before D-Day to... um 
basically take out as many officers, German officers are in that are in the chateau as possible. Mm-hmm. That's that's and the plan. The chateau is frequented by German high command and their mistresses and or um, sex workers. Yes, that's yes, what it is. yeah. Um, so it's not only, I think that it's not only that the characters at one point are physically dirty, it's like their mission is really dirty. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're to take out all of the people. Mm-hmm. It, they're not targeting. Although they do some stuff later. Right. Where I was like, oh, that was, I see you. <laughs> um, and they're given, he's given a dozen men. And so when the, the movie opens, the credits open, you're hearing what each of them did and what they have been sentenced to. Five of uh-huh. them have been sentenced to death. Seven of them have been sentenced to, sentenced to 30 years hard labor. And some of them right off the bat, you know, are like, one of them is a psychopath. That's Telly Savalas' character. Character Maggot. Maggot. Um, who raped and murdered a woman. I don't know in which order. Uh, we don't need to talk about it. It's, it was bad. It was bad no matter what. Uh, and he's he's not well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have um, Charles Bronson as Wadislaw. Wadislaw? I think so. I, mm, he's got a Polish last name. And it's uh, got a lot of letters in there that I'm not sure whether you say or not. But uh, he is prisoner number... He's number nine. They're, they're usually referred to by their numbers, but we do know they're their names. they're lined up according to height. They are, yes. And that is how they are numbered. And he has been added to this mission specifically because he can speak German. That's important later. Mm-hmm. Um, but his crime is that after he was made an officer, three days... <laughs> Three days after he was made an officer, he shot a medic, like a like mm. his own medic, who was running the fuck away. With all the medical supplies. <laughs> With all the medical supplies. And Lee Marvin later, you know, they, ha- they have a couple of conversations because they're probably the closest yeah. um, in this group. And he's like, well, somebody thought you would make a good officer. And he's like, well, it turns out they were wrong. <laughs> but he's like, the only mistake you made was letting other people see what you did. Right. He, which basically, Liam Marvin is like, yeah, you absolutely should have shot that man, but you shouldn't have shot him in front of other people. <laughs> which is tricky when he's running away. Like, you've right. got a finite window. Like, you've got to figure out what you're going to do. So this is the type of thing where Lee Marvin is like, well, clearly, it's sort of a right. bad day, bad place situation. You're not a bad person. Like... Yeah, one of the what I like about those scenes early on because yeah. the movie can be divided into like acts. Almost. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And the first act is really it's Marvin. And for those of you who don't know Lee Marvin, you should listen to Welcome to Night Vale. Right. You still won't know Lee Marvin, but you'll hear the name a lot. Lee Marvin. Uh, briefly, I'll read you the um, his record, his service record: Purple Heart, Navy Commendation Medal. Uh, combat Action Ribbon, Presidential uh, Unit Citation, American Campaign Medal. In in Korea? No, this is all in World War II. In World War II. I thought he was... I didn't think he would be... Right. I guess he's probably older here than I think he is. Right. He, but here's an interesting story. While serving as a member of uh, F- or I Company, the 3rd Battalion's 24th Marines, 48th Division... He participated in 21 Japanese island landings and was wounded in action 
um, on June 18th, 1944. All right. Okay. He was hit by a machine gun by machine gun fire, which severed his psychiatric nerve. And then was hit again in the foot by a sniper. He was in uh, for over a year of medical treatment at naval hospitals, and he was given a discharge with the rank of private. And he'd been a sergeant. Oh wow! He had, pre- he had previously held the rank of corp- excuse me corporal, but had been demoted for troublemaking. So he so is this character. A lot of That's the, really funny. A lot of the uh, the stuff when I started doing or looking into the, the characters in the story because I know that Ernest Borgnine, yeah, um, and Lee Marvin, Charles Bronson, uh, George Kennedy, uh huh, were all actually in the service, and yes. they had these sort of stories about being in the service and. Oh, we should talk a little about, a bit about the movie generally too. Right. So it's directed by Robert Aldrich. It came out in 1967, mm-hmm. uh, June 15th, 1967. Uh, it is long. It yes. is two and a half hours long. But like I said, watch two hours and 15 minutes of this and you don't, you just bounce. <laughs> if it's, it's like a feel good movie up right. until uh, Jefferson shoots Maggot. Call, right. j- shut that shit down. That's it. End of film. <laughs> like, that's it. Nobody's died yet? I don't even think... No, nobody's died mm-hmm. yet. Yes, that's what needs to happen. <laughs> that's that, that should be the end of the movie. This was based on a book by E.M. Nathanson, which came out in 1967. The rights of this book must have been bought alongside the book, the rights to the publishing of it. I mean, it was a super quick turnaround. Um, so... Yeah, some of the other faces that we see, Jim Brown, as I said, plays uh, Who actually Robert Jefferson. Quit the NFL to be in this film. Really, they wouldn't yes. let him have the time. They were shooting in England. Oh yeah. And so he left. He at that time had I forget exactly what his record is. He was amazing. Yes. Yeah. And when he wanted to work in film and in the NFL, and there was a statement made, you have to come back home. Because we're not going to hold back the season for you, and you have a contract and everything. You have to actually tell Jim Brown choose between the movies or the NFL. And he's like, "Well, then I'm going to choose." Here's the thing right. about the NFL: I could break my knee next week, and I'd be fucked. Well, here's the thing about Jim Brown: he doesn't take shit. Yeah, well, yeah also that he's one yeah. of those guys, like Muhammad Ali. Like this he's was the so beginning. good in this. Like he's he's right. He's there's a vulnerability in him. That is weird, almost strange to see in such a big dude. Right. But he's like a legitimately like strong actor. Like he's really good. He's extremely watchable. And you find out he's on this fucking thing because he killed or I don't even know if he killed them. But he fought back against two white men who were trying to castrate him. So I'm going to say, mm. you don't deserve, you. that's fucking um, self-defense and you don't need to be here. But of course, the army's going to fuck around. We l- literally just watched another movie <laughs> about this very thing. Right. <laughs> so which so we will talk about later, yeah. Right, and it just puts you in a frame of mind. But yeah, um, he's considered one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. And he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. He's such he's got such engaging presence on the screen. Right. It's 
And especially among the people that he's among the, the, here. His, the, the crew of people. So we're going to keep going. Yeah. Right. So he he's in it. Cassavetes, John Cassavetes right. is in it. Probably, is he no more as a director now? More as a director, but he did, like, he had a great choice for parts. that He, he did this, Rosemary's Baby, right. what else? Let me see if I can find him. He did, actually, I've seen him through a sympathetic part. He did a very sympathetic part in a... Um, because he usually plays, like, in this case, he's a little bit of a wise guy. He's a little right. bit of a... His name's Franco. He's number 11, because he's short. <laughs> um, and... He is a, a catalyst for a lot of the, the sort of big plot pushes forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you said Richard Jekyll. Jekyll? Mm-hmm. Is that how it's Jekyll, pronounced? I think. Plays um, M.P. Bowren. And he is basically like Lee Marvin's right-hand man. Because in addition to the 12, he's been assigned a little battalion... Of MPs, because fundamentally this is a POW situation. Right. <laughs> they're they're prisoners of war. They're just prisoners of war on their own side, right? Yeah. Like that's what's going on. This is Bridge on the River Kwai. Mm-hmm. Only <laughs> everybody yeah. is on the same side. It's this, and we, we haven't talked about that, mm-hmm. or we have talked about that on the show, and we will be re-airing that episode. Um, but. Uh, it's the same kind. These are POWs, yeah. so you have to have people watching them, like guarding them. They need correction well, especially officers. Maggot. Yeah, especially Maggot. But they keep giving him watch with a gun. I don't <laughs> understand because no, I don't understand it. But um, and we have um, yeah, Telly Savalas as Maggot. Who it has to be said, he just does a really good part in this. He's he, not his character's revolting. It's but for those people who grew up like me, just watching him as as Kojak, you're going, yeah. I I just thought that's who he was, and, and instead, I don't have that. Right, exactly. So now this is what I have. <laughs> that's a pity. So if I ever watch Kojak, I'm gonna be like, yeah, but he's a rapist. Though. <laughs> like it's gonna be real rough. It's like your mom and that. Who is it? She couldn't watch somebody because she was like. No, he was gross in that movie or whatever. Well, I don't there know. Was was a couple De Niro of Jeff Goldblum. Or something? Goldblum. She, really? she couldn't stand because he was one of the rapists in uh, Death Wish. That's right. And Speaking of Charles Bronson. Some sort of issue with Peter Cushing. And I asked her, asked her why once. And she's like, I can see him think and his thoughts aren't good. Like oh, he's up to no ma'am. Good. <laughs> I'm right. like, okay. Well, that's the kind of actor Peter Cushing was. But We've got Donald Sutherland, mm-hmm. number two. As Pinkley, um, number two, so he's the second tallest, right? right? We're getting it. And the tallest is. And well, let me let me give you a little yeah. thing about Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland has like four lines in this whole movie. Yes. His most of his job in this movie is to look like a slack jawed yokel, and he <laughs> fucking aces really it. Well. And then we have Clint Walker as Samson Posey. Of course, his name is Samson. He's number one because he's six foot fucking six. He's right. this is Superman on the fucking set. It's yeah. his jawline is straight out of fucking Stanley comic. It's wild. It's really funny. He did a he did a very popular TV show at the time, and and uh, he. Uh, he would sing on the TV show sometimes because he has a very deep voice. I could see that. Yeah. I could see him singing along to a guitar. 
there's a very plus funny... his name is Clint Walker. Right. That's a country ass name. That's a country star ass name. He did a he did one of the jokes that Robert Ulrich, who was an amazing director. It's he's also an odd director because you look at his filmography and he did just about every kind of film. Yeah. Flight of the Phoenix, The Dirty Dozen. He did um, Emperor of the North, which was another film with Lee Marvin and uh, about riding the rails during the Depression. Oh, interesting. And it has yeah. probably the most violent fight scene I've seen in a Western film. Wow. At the end, and it's Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin throwing down with a Ernest hatchet. Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin were like buddies, right? Are yes, they like a like Peter Cushing, uh, Christopher Lee situation? situation? Or like a... Whatever like a Mathow and Lemon right. situation. How, uh, whatever, whatever happened to Baby Jane? Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Kiss me deadly. The uh, Apache. He did westerns. He, he was a really interesting director, who did a lot of different kinds of films. Uh-huh. And so, and what he could do though, like well, both with Kiss Me Deadly and and, and what Ralph Meeker was also in this movie, he could like do this weird thing that goes with comedy and then just dips into real violence. Yeah. Which is what this is right. doing, but it's, I don't know that it's super successful. So those are like the ones we right. know. And those, so like six of them are the ones that we kind of know. Right. And then there are six that are like the chorus. Right. And, what I was mentioning about Robert Ulrich, there's oh, a yeah. funny story where, as a joke, he put Charles Bronson between six foot four Donald Sutherland. And six foot six Clint Walker as oh, a yes. joke, and he just got glared at. Because Bronson is tough as shit and short. He's a fire plug of a man. He's five foot eight. Which yeah, isn't not short. He short, is right. the average height of American He's males. He's shorter than Superman and Super Doofus. Yes, <laughs> but it, like between those. Sutherland two. looks so silly in this. Right. Um, and then we have Tom Busby as Vladdick, Ben Carruthers as Gilpin. Stuart Cooper as uh, Lever, Trini Lopez as Jimenez, Colin Maitland as Sawyer, and Al Mancini as Bravos. That's numbers 6, 4, 5, 10, 7, and 12. You don't, they don't really... Jimenez comes in a little bit at the end. <laughs> but he also... Which one, I'm sorry, the character... is Jimenez the one playing the guitar? I don't know. The I guy don't who just wants that his guitar all. all through the film. And that's that's kind of what they, I basically don't remember that at all. Yeah. So because I they don't there's such broad strokes because there's a dozen of them. You can't if if you're making a film called The Dirty Dozen, really only four of those are gonna be people that we are gonna spend any time with because this movie is already three hours long. Right. And also Lee Marvin, who we spend most of the time more Lee Marvin and um Richard Jekyll is who we spend most of our time right. with, y'all. That's they're not they're not in the dozen. <laughs> because and I said, is there a dozen men? And you were like, there are like fifteen. There right. are. It's those guys. And then um we have George Kennedy. Right. As they're like he's kinda like their accountant. He's Which like is, their right. scorekeeper. It's weird. Because <laughs> they do do war games. Right before they do do real, real war. And what they do, I would argue, isn't necessarily war. It was, I mean, I don't know. It's hard. It's, I'm not going to get into that part. Yeah. But um, 
So we have this group of like 15 guys that we're following, but most of them sort of fade into the background. Um, so Marvin takes the, or the major, takes, mm. takes the group and he brings them, I think they go out to France. I think they're training in France, but I'm not sure. They don't really ever say. They just go out to like a really nice countryside. It's beautiful. And he's like, um, this is where we're going to train. And they're looking around and there's fucking nothing. And he's like, yep, you're going to build everything, but that won't interfere with your training. So here you go. And they have to build these bunks, these cabins for both for the MPs mm-hmm. and for them. <laughs> And they have to finish the MPs ones first. Um, and they're doing all of... So we're seeing these montages of them building right. the camp Which out. It almost feels like a montage in a romantic comedy. It or does. It's got, it's got peppy-ass music. It's got Lee Marvin looking at a clipboard and scowling at them when they're just trying to goof around. Right. It's got, like... Two of them trying to dig a fence poster, or like a poster into right. the ground like one of the, with one of those twisting... Like, um, land screws? Yeah. I don't know, those big things that you do to put a pole in the ground. And then Posey just comes up, just this shadow comes over them, and he's like, twist, he twist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we, we're seeing the thing build up and build up and build up, and all the way up until they want to be able to sleep inside, and they're told no. Right. Um you're going to have dinner now and you'll finish putting, they have to put windows on the floor down and then they'll be able to sleep inside. And he's like, you're not ready to sleep inside. And when you are, I will let you know. Like he keeps it pretty. What's interesting is in these scenes, you see a lot. uh, You mentioned that, um, that uh, Donald Sutherland doesn't have many lines in the movie. No, He mostly has a, he has a lot of screen time. though. He does. Because and apparently he's he was always of, doing some. He things. must have been really fun to work with. Yes. Because they dwell on him a lot. They do. And Robert Aldrich is very big on like rewarding people who are. I think it's also the performance. He is performing. Uh huh. Even when the camera is not directly on him, right. like if he knows he's on the shot, he's, he's in the shot, right. and he's doing something interesting in the shot that isn't detracting from what that shot is. Mm-hmm. But if you watch Sutherland in the movie, like through the film. He's yeah. doing something at all the time, all the time. Yeah. Sometimes some of the dudes are just staring off into space or whatever because they would be doing that anyways. But he's always doing something interesting, and he's got that. Very, I mean, he's he's so childlike in this. Like he's he's clearly not all together. Yeah, you're all together. You're going, this becomes one of the great actors of his generation, Ugh. and you're going, oh, well, not yet. This is not where we're at now. Well, but this it's not even that. He, but also, he's playing a character. Right, I know. Like, his character is one of those people where you're like, hey, U.S. Army? You probably shouldn't have... Right. It's a, it's a, it's a Vincent D'Onofrio in Full Metal exactly. Jacket, right? It's a... You're really taking advantage of a de- developmentally disabled person, probably, there's, is what's happening here. There's that, he's that way. I know that um, Samson, the character that uh, Clint Walker is playing... He can't read. He can't read. He was having issues with it because the character in the book mm. and on the script is Native American. Oh, interesting. Or at least part Native American. So he kept... Or, like there's a, there's a scene later on where... Um, 
they're stopped. Yeah. And he's uh, uh they're all incognito. They don't yes. have dog tags. They're no, they've them. they're they're yeah, they're they're totally not they don't have their names associated right. with them. When one of them is interrogated later, he just keeps saying, I'm number nine, I'm number nine, I'm number nine. And there's a th- that sets up the whole catalyst for the, the yeah. uh, issues with um uh, breed. Breed. Colonel Breed, yeah. Um and uh Donald Sutherland's character mm-hmm. is asked to inspect the troops. Yes. Because they don't know who he is and they're going, Oh, he's incognito, he's a visiting general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk about that then, but what's right. yeah, so But the issue was that Clint Walker was supposed to do that part of the scene. Oh. And he goes, the whole goofing off and joking thing, I don't want them to make... He apparently had friends who were Native American. And he's like, I I don't want to do a scene at the expense of this guy looking or goofing off in front of these other people. Got you. I want him to be a good guy. And what that character does, what Uh Donald Sutherland's character does in that scene... Right. His character wouldn't do. No, it would be a complete... The way that he has acted right, at the entire thing. time, it would have been like, who the fuck is this? The, what he does, uh-huh. what, what Sutherland does, Sutherland stays true to this character. He's really committed. Beginning to end. Yeah. And the end, his last... His ending is ignominious. It's not right. great. Um, but so during all these scenes, we're seeing them, their skills are progressing. These are legitimately tough men. Mm-hmm. Um who are being trained, they're coming along in their weapons training, they're coming, they're building everything up. Right. Um, and you're seeing conversations between, like, uh, Lee Marvin and uh, Bronson, um, specifically, that's right. when he's like, well, somebody thought you would be a good, you know, officer. Like, yeah. and the only mistake you made was you did it right. where other people could see. That's li- he lets literally he says that and then fucking deuces out. It's crazy. Um, there's a scene where uh, I can't remember what is that Franco mm-hmm. um, is complaining about the, uh, the they're having to shave in cold water, which I think would suck. I don't know. I don't have to shave my face so. Um, and it closes up your pores. It does makes it, it, it makes it harder it really to do. Does. Plus, it's just uncomfortable, I would think. Um, and he basically gets them all to band together mm-hmm. to like boycott doing anything until they get warm water. Because how is shaving cold making us better soldiers? Which is a good point. And they do all band together. And this is. <sighs> This is a, a situation that the major has sort of manufactured mm-hmm. because he's talking about how he's working with 12 really great individuals, but he needs them to be a team. They're, this, right. is, this is 90% a suicide mission, right? Like, or 98% chance suicide mission. 98% chance everybody dies. If they go in and they're not a team, it's 100%. Like, <laughs> that 2% is only there if they are... Working as one, if they're not, and and so one of the things that they do um, to start that out is, if any of you don't make it through this training, none of you, and you make it through back. this training, you get sent back for execution of sentence, whether it's execution, execution, or thirty years hard labor, um, which. I just have a question about military policing. These are American soldiers that you have sentenced to 30 years hard labor. When the war is over, what 
What happens to they them? Continue with their sentence. Do they go? Where do they go? They go back to the states and continue their sentence. That's crazy. I had a friend who had it with sergeants and hit one of them. Oh God, what was he doing? He was breaking rocks in a field. Or, Sounds or, great. And he got really mad and he turned around and hit his sergeant in the knee with a hammer. Yeah. Oh. And he got discharged, but he served out an actual sentence. An actual sentence. I didn't yeah. know that they could execute you, and I didn't know that mm. they could sentence you to time and outside of your... Right, executing them is a time of war business. Must be. Um, I don't think that, that they could do that now. Yeah. yeah. Um, although, technically, I mean, I don't know, are we still in war? Oh, that's what we should say. Posey. Mm-hmm. Um... He was pushed. He kept getting pushed by this dude, and he hit him one time. And he hit him so hard that his jawbone pierced his brain. This motherfucker's big, and he's strong. And and so that's what he's working on. He He has him push him. But he, like... And this is based on Billy Budd. That's the other thing. Right. Like this is a loose trans, like well, no, adaptation. Was, uh, the soldier story. Oh, was, was it? Adaptation of. Oh, okay, it was Billy Budd. But, but this, this, this character is, seems okay. like he's like the big, uh, physically agile, yeah. but really strong, and he just has a problem with his temper. He has a problem with his temper. Don't push him. Yeah. And then but just, he also doesn't want to hurt anybody. Right. He doesn't, and which makes it like okay. Outwardly, you're a perfect soldier. You're enormous. You're really physically yeah. strong. It's. But he doesn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. And so there's a scene during the training scene where yes. Lee Marvin is trying to teach him how to disarm somebody with a knife. With a knife, yeah. And he can't get... And the funny thing is that... And Lee Marvin hands him a knife in a scabbard, and he's like, I don't want to take it. And he's like, it's in a scabbard. It can't hurt anybody. I don't want to take it. I don't want to right. take it. He's like, it's in a scabbard. You can't... You, you couldn't kill me. Or you couldn't hurt me with characters it. like raising his hand. Raising his hand. Give me the gun. <laughs> or give me the knife. I want the knife. I would like to stab you, please. Um, then he finally finally posey takes the bl- the uh mm. the handle of the knife and lee, lee marvin pulls off the scabbard and chucks it aside yeah. so he is holding on just an unsheathed knife which is what he didn't want to do in the first place but then he is disarmed <laughs> so, right. um, because he's his te- he lets his temper get a right. get in his and head if you choose between bad temper and, and judo the judo, judo wins. wins. <laughs> judo wins. It uses your momentum, so it's like all that strength didn't yeah. work for him. And he does tell him at the and end. And they are using judo. It's right. pretty rad because I know that this is when judo was coming into right. the West. Right. Was because of this war. <laughs> um, so that's really, that was interesting. Um, but so, yeah. So we're seeing them do these various trainings, always with sort of a goofy soundtrack in the back mm-hmm. Always with, even when there's poignant stuff, like, he's having them talk to what I think is a shrink, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a chaplain shrink-style person. And that's when Posey says, oh, he says he'd teach me to read. They'd be real proud of me if I could read I back know, home. And I'm like... Just, yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do and that. Like, that is instantaneous. Between cry. the two... Between the, the actual dozen... It seems like uh, we get the, a lot of screen time. Well, we said you know with the, the yeah. characters that we do, but John Cassavetes yes. is like the antagonist. Franco, he, he's constantly yes. trying to get loose. He pockets a pair of wire cutters That's to right. get out, and then he gets stopped by the two who really talk to each other the most, which is also what makes his death heartbreaking. Is Jim Brown yeah. and Charles Bronson? Yeah, those two. They always sort of have each other's backs. Have each other's backs. They're working together. Yeah, right. and they're like, we cannot let you go. 
Right. <laughs> because if you go, we're going to die. So, yeah, we're not. No, we're not doing this today. Um, that's the other thing we should let you know. Their sentences will be commuted when they come back. Mm. If they come back. Right. Um, pretty easy deal for the government to make. Um, and I think in that deal, we don't see it explicitly, but I'm going to predict that at some point somebody said, hey, Maggot can't come back. Yeah. Because I, think, I don't think anybody was comfortable with him much, just going right. free. There's a lot of story to tell in here. I don't think that Maggot's story gets gone into enough. I, I'm Which almost certain <laughs> that he is going to go to a very nice place where people in white coats will yeah, give him lots I, of Yeah, I cannot. I don't commuted be, maybe, but they were right. not going to let him out, he I do not, not think. be in a general population no. of anything. Mm-mm. No, especially no. if... The, this is probably the best case scenario for him right. because there aren't women around. He cannot be around yeah. women. He is a danger to 50% of the population of this planet solely because he perceives them to literally be demons walking around on the earth. I mean, he doesn't say it that way, but that's what it is. That's what's happening yeah. here. Um, so, yeah, there had to be a fucking backroom. Hey, when we say commute, he can't. <laughs> right. You see what we've done to most of these men? He is a problem. <laughs> so um, so they're, they're going through all of these things, and they're coming together as a team. And even, like, he says, you know, when um, Franco gets them all together on mm-hmm. the wash water, um, even Posey steps up right. and says, I'm also, because I think they were going to do a hunger strike. I think that's what it was. And he steps up with them. And, and when Marvin is talking later to the MP, he's like, you see, even Posey stepped up. He's been shaving. I'm sure he's been shaving with cold water his whole life. Right. Like exactly. he's from a p- farm. He, there's no way <laughs> that this is a, a fight for him. But he has joined into this group like they yeah. are one. And so that's when he's like, all right, we can go learn how to jump out of a plane. Let's do it. <laughs> that's now, a- mind you, they're stopped from bathing, too. Which is where yes, that's true. Richard Jekyll's character first calls him yeah. dirty dozen. Yes, that's right. They're not shaving. They're, they're, they're just not shaving, kind of, and they're not yeah, right, and they're not washing. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, Captain King Kinder is psychologically analyzing them, so they are mm. going to a a, a shrink basically. Um, and he he does tell because Marvin is like Lee Marvin is like uh, so. What do you think? And he's like, I think it's a. Solid group of soldiers. He's like, okay, but what do you think? And he's like, yeah, they kill you in a second if they could. Like, and yeah. he's like, thank you. That's what I need to know. And that is true for most of the movie. I think probably up until they jump out of a plane. I think at the jumping out of a plane, I think they're together. I don't think they're going to kill Lee Marvin at that point. Or they, I don't think any of them. Tell you some Oswald. Tell you some Oswald just kill anybody, anybody anytime. Anybody anytime. For any reason. But mostly women, because they're whores. Um, (laughs) And so they go... Oh, that's the thing. Okay, so they're going to be learning how to jump out of a plane, because they're going to need to parachute into France. That's how they're getting where they're going. Um, And the way... Where they have to learn how to do that is at this facility run by 
Lee Marvin's like, nemesis. nemesis. Basically. He's Colonel Braid, who was in the last film that we, or a couple of films ago we watched, in The Wild Bunch, was oh, yeah. um, William Holden's nemesis. This is Robert Ryan. Oh, okay, yes, that's right. He's a very craggy-faced actor. He's yes. a great craggy-faced, craggy-voiced actor. Yes, that's true. As a matter of fact, if you ever watch, there's a very good film, um, Bad Day at Black Rock. Oh, yeah. And Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, and Robert Ryan. All these guys. Are, Same guys. Right. They're, this, they're the crew of villains <laughs> who are out to yeah. get rid of Spencer Tracy. So it's kind of funny watching her. Yeah, what was Lee Marvin in The Wild Bunch? What was he doing instead? I don't know. <laughs> he was probably offered to him, and he's like, nah, I've done too many uh, Yeah, no, I need a break. I'm right. going to Mexico for it. Well, you guys were in Mexico. No, never mind. <laughs> I'm going not to Mexico. Um, and uh, so they need to go there to mm-hmm. learn how to do this, and they can't talk about who they are or what they're doing because it's a secret. And so they're like, we're going incognito. Tell them whatever you have to tell them. Tell them we've got a a general, mm-hmm. you know, on board um, if that gets us in. They're not wearing dog tags. They're only going to be known by their numbers. They're, they have no identity. They're like fully ghost protocol at this right. point, right? Like they have been disavowed by the, by the, by the, by the army. Um, and so they're going in. And at this point, Breed's got his shiniest platoon out front doing drills. It's so stupid. And the band's playing, and he's like, well, I thought that if you had a general that he might want to inspect the troops. And we're like, they're like, oh, fuck. So he goes back, and yes, he does. He picks Donald Sutherland's character. Right. He's like, uh, well, he says who who wants to be a general, and he picks him, and he's like, I'd rather be a civilian. Right. <laughs> so good. And he's like, you've seen them inspect troops, right? What did he say? Like, look stupid, sound look dumb, sound stupid, or something like that, which, I mean, done and done. Um, they don't have a lot. I mean, that's the thing. Lee Marvin, at this point, is, like, trapped in here. He does not have any respect for his elders. He does not give a fuck. Uh, he's like, just because you have a general stars on you does not mean that you are better than me, right. even though the, everything is telling me that I'm supposed to think that. Eat a dick. Like, he just, he's not... And at his age, right, at this mm-hmm. point, he should probably be a general. <laughs> if he didn't get well, getting demoted for He keeps his... getting demoted or right. just not getting promoted, which exactly. is the same thing, kind of. Um, yeah, so he um, he does that and then and Sutherland walks the line and it's hilarious because he's like making faces at his buddies which is not good but then he's walking the line and he stops at one of them and he's like where are you from son or whatever and the dude looks about the same age as him that's the other thing I'm like how is he in general he's like 22 like what the fuck and he looks really young and the guy's like you know something something some little town out right. in like Minnesota or something and he's like huh Never heard of it. <laughs> keeps, keeps walking. I'm like, what a dick. But also, that is what every general fucking <laughs> does in these things. So I was like, well, he fucking nailed it. Um, and then later that day, uh, Wadislav, the Charles Bronson, is uh, in the latrine. Mm-hmm. He does get accosted by two very large men, one of whom reminded me dearly of the younger Busey. Uh, she, he really looked to me like Jake Busey. 
first time oh, I didn't think of that. I he's just got a similar right. shaped face and, and big grin. teeth. Okay, yeah. yeah okay. Um, so, but of course, it's 1967, mm. and it wasn't, and it wasn't his daddy, because right. <laughs> so, he's too tall. Um, so they like tune him up. They like, uh, and they like say things like, you know, in the trunk, so it won't show. Like they're saying that shit out loud, and I'm like. And still kind of in the background. Like, it's like, what the fuck is happening in this? It got a little serious when they beat him up, but it was still kind of like, this is still kind of being played for laughs. Well, especially when he Because gets... he keeps, like, saying, they, he's like, yeah. where are you? Where are your dog pat tags? He goes, I swallowed them. Right. And then he's like, Ooh, you're not going to tell me who you are? And he's like, I'm number nine. <laughs> like, he just keeps saying, I'm number nine. I'm number nine. <laughs> And it's, I think, they come and rescue him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They br- they bust in and... And who is it that rescues him? I can't remember. It's Jim Brown. I think it's I think it's uh, Jim Brown and maybe Franco. I can't remember. I can't remember who the other one is. Let me, hold on, let me see. Nope. Um, and, but originally they, they blame Lee Marvin mm. for the attack, but then... Um, Breed shows up to the to their camp trying to find answers, and then they telephone down the line. Mm-hmm. Those are the two guys that beat up Wadisla, and all the way up to fucking Wadisla. And he whispers it to him, and I think it, that is um, right. that is uh, Jim Brown, and he like whispers it. And he looks at him, and he's like, he just like sheepishly yeah. returns, <laughs> like I can't. I just told you those are the guys that beat you up. I'm pretty sure you, you <laughs> but it's really it goes all it goes like three or like four or five guys right. down and then it hits him and he just looks at him like yeah the fuck I know <laughs> I was there um so yeah so they t- he gets like beat up and then they continue on and then they jump out of the plane and that's it that's the training for that like it's 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 weird because you hear these are the, it's literally laid out like this is what we're gonna do mm-hmm. This is the scene where we do it. And then the next thing is, this is what we're going to do. And then the scene where they do it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if that's how, why it becomes such a big shock at the end of the film. When this is what we're going to do and we run through the whole plan. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes absolutely maybe that is Maybe that is what they're it's trying to do. Up, like, so in the end, they make a plan, right. they execute a plan. They make a plan, they execute a plan. They make a plan, they execute a plan, they make a plan. They do not execute right. a plan. The end. That's basically the way that. And I think maybe that's the reason why it put you off because it does create that sort of expectation. Okay, they're going to get there and yeah. they're going to do this and that, and then it just well, goes. Be, nuts. And there's also like two climaxes, right? Mm-hmm. So they get through this thing. They get they're they're a team now. They've mm-hmm. done all of the training that they need to do, and and um, at that point. They send Maggot away with a gun to, to a goon to, tower, to right. a to a yeah to a guard tower, and the rest of the men are brought a truckload of prostitutes. And there's only like, eight. Have yeah. fun because as as the MP points out, uh, you actually can't, they're like cops. You can't find them when this, you need. Yes, that's right. This happens after. This happens after the thing. I thought this led into this. So there are two sort of climaxes to the mm. movie. Pun intended. Prostitutes. Ha ha. Um, So, as they're getting ready to 
we're still we're still a ways out from the date that this thing needs to happen because they want to do it right before D-Day. So it is mm-hmm. a specific time. Their breed is like, he shouldn't be allowed to do this. They should all come back. Da-da-da-da-da. He should be court-martialed. Like, he's like a real whiny bitch baby. And um, so they're like, okay, well, if you don't think that my team is shit, then how about we, in during war games, because they're actively also having war games right. right now, which is wild to me. Um, how about we basically run a test? You guys are in... Are, Breed's men are in charge of this little bunker here. Right. What uh, if we take it from them? When... when um, we play a weird game of capture the flag, right. flag that Breed doesn't know he's playing. The, the <laughs> issue is that... Uh, Reisman believes that they need a graduation or something, so he sneaks these eight prostitutes on there. And then Maggot goes nuts, right? But he, you know, he starts condemning Reisman, saying, okay, you know, they're all these men are going to hell because of you. So now he has an issue with Reisman. Um, and then the next morning, Breed comes by. Oh, I th- I really thought that the, the yes, the, the, I the thought the it was the other way around. Yeah. Okay, okay, so that was the catalyst. Yeah. So after they did their jump and they were right. like, that was like, we're done. Yeah, he brings the prostitutes in, and then yeah, he brings them in, and he's like, you brought prostitutes into the thing. Like mm-hmm. this is but immoral. there's also like this an is... armed confrontation where, um, where Reisman is climbing up on a roof because they're about to, uh, interrogate his men. Oh yeah, and, like violently. Yeah. And so what happens is that uh, Bronson and Jim, Jim Brown are like, what are we going to do? And they're making up their plans about when they're yeah. going to attack. And then suddenly, Reisman lets loose with the machine gun. So that really oh, pisses right. off that, Yeah. Because right. he could have shot him during that. He's just like firing Sh- Should probably have. Right. I mean, he wasn't. He he wasn't acting. Like, if no, he wanted to hit somebody. With these other guys. Yeah. <laughs> if he wanted to hit somebody, right. he would fucking hit somebody. somebody. Um, maybe not somebody you were hoping right. to, but I feel like with machine gun fire, you're either gonna hit somebody or not gonna hit right. somebody. That's basically the two sort of modes you can have. Um, I don't think there's a lot of no, precision. A, no, it's aim towards the crowd or aim away from the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the two things you can do. Um, so yeah, so he brings the, the prostitutes in. Yeah, like you said, they made that joke. Right. They're like cops. You can never find them. Like, I know they're around, but I can never find them when I need them. And I'm just like, that's hilarious. Also, why are we making so many jokes in this movie? It's, Although yeah, I didn't I, know yet. Because the next, mm-hmm. the whole next scene, it's like the next 25 minutes of the movie. It feels that way, certainly. It, it is. Right. I watched it. It's like, this movie is like... Well, I thought you were talking about the scene with the prostitutes. No, like no, 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 no. Which no. is really funny because you mentioned to me at the time, this scene is going on too long. Yeah. Because there's just a scene of the women looking at the men and the men looking at and the, the women. And the men looking at the women. And, and like then, they're all I'm like, too... we get it. You all are going to fuck. Like, yeah, but they're not looking at each other in a way that what makes that scene funny to me Yeah, is that you have a bunch of criminals who do not know now how to deal with a woman. Right. And so the only one who made, well, the one who makes the first step is uh, Cassavetti's character. Yeah. Who just goes up and Franco. Puts, right. Yeah. And so they're all sort of sitting around going, what do we and do? And all right. of the women look at Posey. Right. And then they're like, I mean, I guess I'll settle for these other ones. But also, <laughs> what's up, buddy? Well, except for the <laughs> one who checked like... out 
Jefferson. Je- yes, that's right. Yes, <laughs> the like, one black man. That Hello. is right. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mind you. Well, fortunately, every... here's the nice thing about right. sex workers. You don't have to navigate women. I mean, yeah. treat her like a person. Which is why But you don't have to, like... Her. Right. You don't... You know, you're not negotiating a romantic encounter. That's what she's here for. Just don't fuck it up from here to there. Like, <laughs> and, and you don't even know how many of them actually have sex because, for the you most don't. part, they're just dancing with no music, and eventually somebody like somebody starts, so yeah, starts. I think it might be the guy who has the guitar. I think you might be right. Yeah. And so they're just sort of dancing really slow. It was very funny. I think. At the same time, yeah, they is, did want sort right. of a girlfriend experience situation because they hadn't been around. I mean, they've been just around themselves for right. the month they've been together, and then however long they were in prison before that. So yeah, it's been a while, right. <laughs> and and they all know it's basically. Oh well, no. At this point, mm-hmm. it, it's death or freedom. So it's not right. death or thirty years more without a woman. <laughs> Those are, you know, so um, so what they decide that they're going to do is, yeah, do this war game. Mm-hmm. They're going to, as a team, infiltrate and take over this area that is being commanded by Breed's troops. Right. And and Reisman can't be involved in this at all. Nope. Absent for Absent. that part of the yes. film. Which is yes. the, the longest stretch of time we have without without him. Right. They are just like, yeah, you you have to you have to prove your worth as a team uh-huh. without your commander telling you every single step that you need to take. Um, I think he is able to work with them at, on a plan, mm-hmm. but I, then he's right. And not there to is very. He's very George funny. Kennedy. He's like, first of all, is he like nine feet tall? He's he also seems foot, like a between giant. six foot three and four. Okay, which is like the same height as I think Lee Marvin. They're mm. all these really big guys in this film. Wow. And uh, Kennedy in this movie, I've seen him. I I think I think his nomination was for playing this kind of southern thug who eventually turns sympathetic and cool hand Luke. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't seen that. Movie and then the airport movies. Although he's always in the control tower because a man that big just shouldn't be a pilot. Bump his head, getting probably the can't the be. There are right. there are restrictions, size restrictions. But he uh, he's a he's a really fun kind of character actor. Yes, and mystery novelist, and all sorts of other stuff. He's a fun guy. Um, but here he plays just this big kind of nerd. And when Breed and Reisman are having this argument, and, and Reisman's going, I, "I'll put any one of mine against ten of yours," and there's no way of proving it. Oh yeah, that's right. He says, well, you know, uh, Reisman's kind of stuck for a second. Like, how do I, I don't think there is a way to prove it. And then he just very bashfully, uh, Kennedy goes, uh, yeah, there is. And then he suggests There's like literally a thing you can do. Right. Oh, I want to apologize to George Kennedy and all the other tall kings uh-huh. who absolutely can be pilots because he was an aviator wow. who enjoyed flying and owned a Cessna 210 and a Beechcraft Bonanza. So I apologize. Which is for the, very for the funny because that was a joke on um, on Wings. There was an episode of Wings mm-hmm. where Stephen, uh, what is his name? I can't think of his last name either. Weber. Weber. Steven sees Weber. him in the little tiny airport they run and just keeps staring at him. <laughs> you're George Kennedy, right? <laughs> oh, he played himself? Right, he played oh, himself. That's He's fun. like, you're George Kennedy. You did 
all this, you know, did he airport seventy five? Did, did he play out? And did he did he fly his own plane in that? Because that would have been badass. I'm not sure exactly. He, what since he's, he's there playing for. himself, right? <laughs> but he just gets him to say, you know, clear the runway. We've got to, you know, do one of his lines. You want him to? Yes, I would like to, you to say that into my phone. And I, well, in in right. Wings time, that wasn't a thing. But like, this is our new. This is just the sounds we use now. Right. <laughs> like when you have Sam Jackson give you your directions and your. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um yeah, so they literally do it's a it's a 25 30 minute scene mm-hmm. where they break into three sets and they do right take over this building. They they do it by faking an explosion, hijacking an ambulance and then using that to get tying in. up the doctors tying up the doctors to a um, tree climbing over a hill while live munitions are going we're going the... off which is fucking crazy because that's the one direction they right. won't be looking and i'm like i mean and and, and I uh, guess. <laughs> bronson is yelling at them hurry up they're reloading so they're reloading and so like they run down and then the explosions start and they fucking hunker and yeah. cover their heads i'm like well you're still gonna die if you get hit by one right, of these things right and then think, they're reloading right. and then they get up and run down they do it three times they yeah, go on, they, lines, i think that's for sh- like stuff flying away from the explosion stuff, yeah. right um, although in this case it's a hill, so it would be like rocks, and rocks whatever. and things, yeah. Oh. Well, and pieces of whatever the munitions were, right? That's true. Were, right? could be. Um, I don't know how big the mm, shells are. The shells are, yeah. So, um, so they do. So they, so then, th- that could be a good place for this movie to end. <laughs> because also, yeah, that that scene ends in a just joyous ass music, and then the next thing we see them is them basically reciting. The plans. Now, mind Reciting you, citing. This the is plans. funny, which our roommate was sitting there for part of it, and the scene is set up very much. This is foreshadowing. Mm. It's set up to look like the Last Supper. Oh yeah. And Lee Marvin sitting at the yeah, center, 100%. and he's speaking to the others. And I'm wondering if I almost want to go back and look at the placement to look at and see if this is. Oh, how they right. laid out. Yeah. Um, like if, if I don't uh, know, but they are sitting <laughs> along a big ass table, all on one side. Right. It's just like, what? Nobody sits like that. What the fuck? And if I ever sat at a table and looked around and went, we're all on one side, I'd right. be like, oh, no. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wonder, yeah. Be We've been placed in a tableau. <laughs> Someone's going to die. I want to see if, and there's so many different versions of Last Supper, but like Leonardo's Last Supper, if, um, if what's a, uh, Cassavetti's character is like where Judas is. That would be funny, and I I, I want to see it. I you know I'm curious. Oh yeah, here we go. I can give you the whole thing. Mm-hmm. One down to the roadblock. We've just begun. Two, the guards are through. Three, the major's men are on a spree. Four, Major and Wadislaw go through the door. Five, Pinkley stays out on the drive. Six, the major gives the rope a fix. Seven. Wadislaw throws the hook to heaven. Eight. Jimenez has got a date. Nine. The other guys go up the line. Ten. Sawyer and Gilpin are in the pen. Eleven. Posey guards points. Posey Posey guards points five and seven. Twelve. Wadislaw and the major go down to the delve. Thirteen. Franco goes up without being seen. Fourteen. Zero hour. Jimenez cuts the cable. Franco cuts the phone. 
15. Franco goes in where the others have been. 16. We all come out like it's Halloween. I don't know why it's like it's Halloween, but that's it. That's the plan. And they just keep saying it over and over and over again. First step, though, they got to parachute in. Now, again, (laughs) if you cut off the film at this point, although... It would be deeply unsatisfying in one way. Confusing. It would be probably yep. yeah. Great. That movie was super fun. Let's watch it again next weekend. However, <laughs> except for Maggot. Oh yeah. Those who things. needs some kind of record. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, 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 he does. So that's the that's it. That's the mm-hmm. plan. They gotta come in parachutes at night. Jimenez does not make it right. right off the fucking bat. He gets hung up in a tree. Broke his neck, died in a tree. So then they have to reset the ones where Jimenez was there, uh-huh. and it's Gilpin that's taking over his place. So everywhere we heard Jimenez a minute ago, now it's Gilpin. But they kept going, they kept going too. Things are going okay. Pinkley's standing outside, so Donald Sutherland's standing outside next to the car, look, just looking around. They're mm-hmm. all in German uniforms, right. we should say. They are all, every one of them is in German uniforms. Um, there's a party going on. It's like a gentleman's club. That's what it feels like. That's yeah. the vibe of it, right? There are these women that are around, but none of them seem like wives, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then there's a lot of food and you know drink and music and like it's it's a party that's happening right, right? or but but sort of one of those kind of places where it's that's just the vibe like a mm-hmm. bar um i've never been to a gentleman's club you guys cuz i'm not a gentleman <laughs> i've never been to a gentleman's club i would party. like to go and smoke I, a cigar I, and play I, some poker let me in never been accused <laughs> of being one so Ladislaw and lee majors so bronson and majors or not Lee, Lee, Lee Marvin, Lee, Lee Marvin, Lee Marvin, um, who's I because his name is Major Reisman, but yeah. I I just think of him as Major Lee. <laughs> I can't call him that, so I'm having trouble over here. Is what I'm saying. So these two characters are walking around because they can speak German. Well, Wadislaw can. I actually don't know <laughs> if Reisman can. I can't remember, but but uh, uh, Charles Bronson's character can, and they're walking around just in the party like they're just officers, which is right. fucking wild. And they're going to find a room because they have to a room that has access from the side because they're going to throw up grappling hooks and, yes. and climb shimmy up. Yeah, he's is, going. Uh, right. Wattislaw is going outside to go up on the roof. Um, uh, Gilpin get ends up scrambling up onto the roof eventually. Uh-huh. Wattislaw takes a few. His grappling hook skills aren't 100%. It takes him like three tries. Gilpin gets up on the roof. He does uh, put his foot through it and does get stuck. So then there's like the time is starting to get away from right. and the what's first, reasonable. The first mistake that gets made is when Jimenez gets hung Killed. up. Yes. And um, Reisman tells them, you're, you're 10 minutes later, you're something. Oh, okay. So, their so we're already late. Off. Time is already off. Yeah. And he's stuck. Mm-hmm. And then, and then everything takes a fucking sharp left turn right. because Telly Savalas has been allowed to be around a woman, and it cannot stand. He doesn't mm-hmm. know where he is or what the fuck he's supposed to be doing. What he does know is he has a knife. That woman has a throat, and so we need to fucking just do a thing. So he's hiding until he isn't, and then he like literally goes up to this woman and says, "Scream." 
And then when he she does scream, he does stab her to death. And then it's fucking on. And when the when the woman screams, the general down the German general downstairs mm-hmm. stands up and yells, "Everyone ranked lieutenant and higher to the bunker." And I'm just like, "Oh, gross!" Well, no, the grosser thing is what you said before about how her scream was a tribute to German passion. Or something oh, yeah, like something like that. Yeah, he did. Yes, yeah, that, and that then, is what happened. Yeah. Oh well. Oh, the explosion. So when the scream happens, then there starts to be gunfire. At mm. that point. Gilpin on the roof just takes two of his fucking grenades, grenades and chucks them. And they them. all have, like, grenade belts. They have so many grenades. You, right. you guys, they have so many grenades. And he chucks this at the antenna, and I think it was... A, he was supposed to be knocking out the communications. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is the only way I'm going right. to knock them out. So, fucking explosions on the roof, and that's when the, yeah, journal, they, the journal downstairs says... They set off an alarm. Yeah, everybody go in. It's going yeah. nuts for a second, yeah. and there's a lot of shooting yeah. over during which Sutherland gets it. Sutherland gets it. And from the, a sniper. From a sniper, yeah. And he... Um, well, right for, in front of um, Jim Brown, right. who's coming up to help him, and he and dies in front again, of him. He, His death scene is... He must have been early in his career, is what I'll say. Must have been really fun to work with because they keep coming back to him. Like, first of all, he takes so long to die, and it's so awkward and weird. And I'm like, is he doing this for laughs? Because I'm pretty sure his character's actually dying right now, and this shit is confusing me. Right. Um. Like he's still wait we're not we're not still no doing it wasn't comedy? Jim Brown it was the MP it was oh, Jay, it was right. him that had come up and he's like oh no they're all gonna die yeah. <laughs> like, well we're all gonna die you at this point had no idea that he wasn't yeah no I, I, absolutely but I think I think he knew that he was in a dangerous situation mm. but he also knew that although this is a weird dichotomy he's a He's a member of the military police who's been put on assignment here, so he signed up for this. Right. They're prisoners that were forced into this, so they didn't sign up for this. Right. Except did either of them really sign up for this? That's something that uh, Reisman keeps... They volunteered. You volunteered volunteered. for this mission. Yeah. So, you know, you clear this, you're back in, you know... Yeah. um, Yeah. Well, some of you. Some of you, But, yeah... yeah, uh, Jefferson kills Maggot. Jefferson kills Mag- Maggot. He comes upon him, who who is now has his gun out and is just killing people. Just mm-hmm. killing people. He has right. lost the fucking plot so and is out of his plot, mind. And so is not happening at all. Anymore. No, and so he just comes up and blows him away because right. he's just like, mm. and that is that is very satisfying because the the first interaction we saw to make this team start mm-hmm. was. Maggot asked if they had to eat with the N-word, right. which caused Jim Brown's character to she attack him. his football skills, right? And they all got in a brawl that Lee Marvin walked out of the room for and was like, they're just working out seating arrangements for the meal. It's fine. Right. Like, he was like, no, they need to fucking fight each other because they won't if be a team be if they don't deal with this the thing. Yeah. Time. And I was like, do you expect any of them to come out of this dead? Because I think that might have also been like, maybe they'll just kill Maggot right now and I don't right. fucking deal with them. It could have been. That could have been what that character was thinking. And and there's a conversation too, like a real serious conversation, I believe, between the MP and, and Lee Marvin. Mm-hmm. But it might have been between like, 
the general and Lee Marvin about, hey, do you want to pare this down to an 11? Because this motherfucker mm. is a problem. And this motherfucker, of course, we are talking about <laughs> Maggot. Everyone is like, no, he's the elephant we need to kill because it's there's something wrong right. with it. He's, yeah, he shouldn't. He's expendable. He has to be because right. he's too dangerous. Right. And he he's is, more yeah. of a light. He's way more of a con than he'll ever be a pro. Right. And that's interesting because there's really two villains. And to, he's right. There's three villains to this film. Colonel Breed is a villain. He's sure. Yes. All right. Uh, Maggot is the most. And I know that it's. Uh, what, uh, God, I keep forgetting his name. Hmm. Uh, Franco. Yeah. Franco is a villain, but he still goes along with the team. He does. And, and he doesn't hurt anybody. He's no. not actively work. He's actively working for himself, but right. he's not actively he's selfish, working against not. anyone. Yeah, yeah, Maggot is just irredeemably evil. Just yeah. And so when Brown kills him, it's like yeah, that needed to happen, yeah. but it's all gone very south now. Yeah. And because he was right. always way more of a con than he could ever be a pro, but that that right. that bared out. That's exactly the truth of what happened. Yeah. Could they have done it with 11? Yeah, it turns out because they only had 11. And, uh, you know, maybe Jimenez wouldn't have been where the tree is if, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, yeah, so it has gone fully sideways. So in the firefight, we're losing Franco. We're losing... Um, oh, no, not Franco, not yet. Oh, no, he's he's oh, he's like glass. <laughs> That's right, he's yeah, like glass. Uh, you think he's going to make it. Um, we lose... Um, uh, Jefferson is almost lost too. Uh-huh. Um, he makes it almost all the way to the end, but yeah, no, we're just we're losing them. We're losing mm-hmm. all of them. We lose Posey. Um, I don't even Posey remember Posey does his job happened. up until the very end. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is that there's a lot. We could do an entire episode on just how this last. Yeah, this last scene, little thing goes. So, yeah. but what they end up doing is everybody basically goes down to where the bunkers are, or not where the bunkers are. They know there's a bunker. Mm-hmm. Under the ground, which right. means there has to be air getting into it. Right. Find where the air is going in. So all the Nazis and their, you know everyone above the rank of everybody the, above the ra- rank of lieutenant get into the bunker and they gather everybody that's that they left uh-huh. behind. And uh, there's actually I really like there's like this weird like little circus moment where Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson run in, mm-hmm. do a somersault land on their back, both together next to each other, and then their pants are pulled off of them by the two dudes that are waiting for them, of uh, other members of the team, so that they can change into the next part of the thing. And it's just like... accidentally shoot. There's one scene where... uh, There's a couple of moments where Richard Jekyll is... His MP yeah. is standing outside just shooting every uniform. All the uniform that he's coming out, and they're all wearing And he almost shoots one of the dozen. Yes. And it's like, oh, okay, so they need to change out of these uniforms. Yeah, because he is the one that came up and saw Donald Sutherland's character die and then came up, killed the one, the sniper that killed him. And then he's, he's out there basically having taken over his spot because obviously he can't do it anymore. And, um, and yeah, so they do this little somersault routine and, and as they're doing that along the wall is all of these maids, cooks, like all of these people. And they're like, well, what do we do with them? And they're like, Shoot the ones that are German or that speak German. Right. Feed the ones that speak French. <laughs> just like I mean, guess. <laughs> like, there's, yeah. a, there's a really so 
there's munitions kept underneath the castle. Yes. And it's very heavily guarded because once Posey is, like, protecting the bridge, they start sending over armored vehicles. And there is, like, a moat around this thing and a bridge. Like, it is pretty well fortified. They did get past some significant fortifications to get in. And two of the characters try to escape in a boat. That winds up just, unfortunately, just being... um, But... Reisman and the others wind up in this sort of half-track vehicle, and well, first right. before they before they do that, they take all of their um, grenade belts, grenades, all the grenades, and mm-hmm. put them down these air holes vents. Pour a bunch of gasoline down there, right? And then um, they're going to have Franco because he's fucking fast. Mm-hmm. Basically, drop live grenades down each one of right. these four different holes and then fucking tear ass and run and get before they start exploding because they're falling into holes full of other grenades right. and gasoline. And all the munitions. And whatever the munitions because when they are. run them downstairs, uh, one of the things that Reisman sees is a sign that says in German, yeah. smoke Careful, is prohibited, prohibited or whatever. There's, yeah. there's munitions down yeah. there and that just sets them off in the idea. Yeah. If we can't sort of shoot them... Out upstairs where we were supposed to. We'll just bury them. We'll just have to bury them. Yeah. And yeah. the moment when he tells our MP what he's going to do, the look on Richard Jekyll's face. Yeah. Like, we're going to literally just kind of drown them in gasoline and, and blow them up. And with the with the full understanding that if those munitions don't catch... Right. Or if they do, but they don't finish the job, they're snuffed because of lack of oxygen. All kinds of things could happen where right. you've got people just dying a very slow, right. very horrifying death. And all kinds of people. There's a lot of people down yeah. there. There's like at least 100 people probably down yeah, there. Yeah, you... There's, it's hard to tell because they're right. taking pictures in way or you know filming in ways where it was probably twenty people that right. we were looking at, but I think that they intended to for them to be more. Yeah, it was, it was fucked up. It was a war crime, right? One hundred percent a war crime. Look on his face, like he's almost like a stand-in for the audience at that point, going, mm-hmm. "This isn't. This is not how I didn't sign up for." Like, right. A this is not well. Here's the thing. Right. When they tell you that no one can know you're doing it. Exactly. Chances are good. There's a reason for and that. And as you pointed out to me, it's like every person in there is a Nazi. Right? Yeah. I'm also like. This is the Nazi high it's not. That's it's, not necessarily true. Well, there were maybe French women in there that did not have a fucking choice. Okay. But again, that's taking it outside but of. Right. Anybody in a uniform, I'm fucking fine with. But. I also am. I also prefer a swifter death than what may have happened. So you know, mm. hopefully it was real quick with the tsunami or whatever. So wh- why was Franco stopped from doing it in the end? He wasn't. He he did. He does the thing. Uh-huh. He runs and he gets and he gets away. And then I can't remember exactly. I think he gets shot. Okay. He gets wounded. Um, Bronson's character gets wounded. And for a second, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be the Magnificent Seven all over again. And he just gets shot, you know, yes. trying to defend other people. Yeah. And then Jefferson, who's Jim Brown's character, does another display of his athletic ability and runs around dropping the live grenades down these. Yeah. He literally, he, thro- he throws right. it, dro- drops a live grenade, runs, 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 does it four times, yells, 
we made it as yeah. he's getting to the vehicle that they're on and he is shot. Right. It's rough. Because <laughs> he was the fourth. It was just uh-huh. Wadislaw, Riesman, um, uh, what's his, Bo- Boren, the, mm-hmm. the MP, and Franco. That's it. That's who was left. And now it's just the three of them. Yeah. And they are confronted by a very difficult crossing, I believe. Right. There's like a battle between giant tank or armored vehicles. They're in this huge personnel carrier. Yeah. And they run into this other armored vehicle. Yeah. They're shooting at it and it just yeah. And then they basically go up and over. Right. And they get out of it. God. You hear people screaming under it. Yeah. It's fucking it's so graphic and you're just like, what is this movie? Right. What I understand movies having different tones. Right. I understand pitch changes. I understand, you know, when we're talking about X, we're one way and we're talking about Y another way. This movie is basically a Disney film for two hours. Mm. I mean, there's... Aside from the sex workers. Yes, right. right. But I mean, in tone. Yeah. Like one of like... Like one of those 50s or 60s Disney films mm-hmm. with a Dick Van Dyke fucking, right. you know what I mean? Like a chitty chitty bit. That's the vibe. Right. It's not the, it's not the content. So it is darker than that, but it's very, it's not quite Benny Hill, but like Private Benjamin. The film that were very much like, you know, the construction scenes. But yes. Anyhow, to finish the film. Yeah. And then th- they get out of there. Well, yeah. And then Franco goes, we made it. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. Shot from yeah. behind. Shot from behind. So then it's just those three. So I did say that. Yeah. Which is the one survivor is Bronson. He's the only one of the, th- yep. the, the dozen that survived. Yep. Only officers. Right. <laughs> and the last scene is them sitting. Sitting in an infirmary. Right. The three of them. All three of them. Which, as it turns out, I'm sure Lee Marvin was very familiar with sitting there in, in traction or whatever he was in. And, and but he does, and then we see Borgnine come in and say mm-hmm. all of them are going to be listed as having given their lives in service for their country. Like they're not going to ghost protocol them. Right. They won't say what. what but were, right. <laughs> they will be sort of honorably discharged mm-hmm. in that way, even yeah. though they have previously been court-martialed and whatever else they were going to be given back their ranks right and um you know i don't know they get to be on a memorial now i don't yeah i don't <laughs> and then that and then that's it that's the end of the movie it ends super oh, abruptly the same thing and it, i think it was pioneered Maybe by the Guns of Navarone, where we see the faces with the faces of the people that we've lost, which I I like that. I I, I actually do enjoy that. And and so to compare the two, yeah, these two big war movies were changing. Do you feel that the lack of explicitness or the lack of extreme violence in the Guns of Navarone made the balance between the humor and the the action palatable because it was kind of I don't it, it I think that the, funny at times. I don't but I but the tone of it yes right. e- equally funny yes but I still don't think the tones matched it the guns of Navarone had a dark humor all the way through it okay like a gallows humor level things it wasn't this sort of goofy comics level mm-hmm. I'm like are is this a Beetle Bailey episode? Like some of the stuff Sutherland is doing 
feels like he's doing a full-on comic performance. He is even up until the very end. Uh, that whole, death scene is uh, pretty comedic as well. He has a whole interaction <laughs> with a German officer who's asking for a smoke, and he keeps yes. like, and it's like the last bit of comedy right before he gets yes. killed. And um, yeah, I can almost well, what film was he thinking he That's was doing? That's the thing. It's just. It, I don't know, I guess, what message is being conveyed to me by these switches in tone. Like, are mm. you trying to get me to be anti-war? Like, are you trying to humanize these people and then look how, how quickly they're thrown away? Mm-hmm. Because I, I already feel that way, so you're preaching well, to the choir in that particular sense, right. but... I don't know that this would do that. Like, I don't know that that is a thing that anybody that I could think about would, like, this is not the movie that would turn them around on that. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Robert Ulrich had planned for a message. He's a very interesting person. I uh, saw an uh, interview briefly with him and uh, with rather not with him, but with um, Lee Marvin. Okay. Um, and he talked about something that I didn't know that Aldrich was from an incredibly wealthy family. Okay. He was part of the um, Rockefellers, I believe. Oh, woof. Okay, yeah. That one wealthy. of one and of he, those wealthy families. Right. I and see. He, he turned his back on that. Because he felt they were embracing too many kind of left wing causes, but this is back when left wing causes Whoa. in the thirties meant communism Com- and whatever yes. else. And not communism but, as in not socialized yes. medicine. No, no, communism. not socialism, communism. They're different. Right. And so he turned his back on that and just worked his way up. Absolutely broke, despite the fact that he's from one of the wealthiest families in the world, uh, working his way up as uh, up to the point where he got to be a director. Yeah. And so in that respect, he had a lot of sort of interesting ideas, but he wasn't really a big message director. What yeah. you get from this film really is almost as if to say, well, there's some people who do not belong in prison. Yes, Jefferson sure. doesn't belong in prison. Absolutely. There's a lot of, you know, Bronson's character uh, doesn't belong in prison. Saw, yeah. Um, there's Posey who doesn't belong in prison, but then there are people like Maggot who definitely belong in definitely prison. Definitely belong in prison, yeah. So it's... And, and yeah, so is yes. Right. Is this a note on the carcel system? And I don't know if this was an attempt to produce a more popular movie, which it certainly was. It really was a really successful film, because some of the other movies he produced, I mean, uh, Kiss Me Deadly, the which is one of his Mike, the one of the second film, which is uh, one of the better adaptations of Mickey Splane, is just a relentlessly grim film. Let me ask you about this mm. because immediately I thought of Hogan's Heroes right. and I, I didn't know when that show aired okay. uh, I just looked it up because I watched it in repeats in the 80s because that's when I was alive mm-hmm. Hogan's Heroes ran from 1965 to 1971 do you think it could be pulling from there for its tone would um, a movie have looked at a, te- a popular television show for inspiration at that point? I'm not sure they did. I know that... Like, I know television was placed Hogan's so Heroes far really below. kind of the television version of a Billy Wilder movie called Stalag 17. Oh, interesting. Okay. With Will okay. Holden. 
but Billy right. Wilder is a somebody that you might look to for. Right. But did it have and did it have that Billy Wilder sort of comedic? Right, it was very comedic. It was. William Holden's playing the guy who always gets out of the prison camp, and they keep right. bringing him back. And then, of course, that winds up kind of becoming the character that um, that Steve McQueen plays in The Great Escape. Which oh, we're also fair see. enough. Right, but he William Holden's take on it was he was very suave, he was very intelligent, he was very connected. Yeah. And he finds out there's a rat in um, in this uh, prison camp that needs to be, and they accuse him of being it. It's a really interesting film, interesting. and it's okay. very funny at times. And and then there's like a really dramatic ending. Yeah. Okay. It. Got you. Um, so I wonder if that is. It, it's just yeah, the, it that was a be, thing because there was there's all at the time Clint Walker uh-huh. and Lee Marvin was doing a TV show called M Squad. Yeah. Um, and John very Cassavetes. few people look more like a cop than right. Marvin. I'm sorry, but that's just John the way Cassavetes that it is. worked a lot in television before yes. he became an independent director. Right. He was part of that group with Ben Gazzara and Peter Falk. Yeah. Um, and so, and Charles Bronson had his own TV show at the time for a while. Oh wow! So okay, the so there was. It could be that yeah. there was some sort of crossover because they were all really popular in television. Yeah, I just before. it's it's baffling to me because yeah. I'm just like I don't know. How to yeah. feel, and you look at Robert again. Robert Aldrich watching these Hush, guys. Hush, sweet Charlotte is relentlessly gloomy. Yeah, as is you know that that's he did movies sometimes that were just like overpoweringly at the end of the film. You're like, good God, I think I'd like need a yeah. bath or a right. drink or something. Right. right. But um, and this wants to not be like that. But right. then you watch everybody that you got to like, like. Right. Exactly. Die in sometimes in really horrible ways. Yeah. Um, this is what Roger Ebert says. Yeah. Okay. To to close that part of it out. Yeah. Uh, everything just leads up to a really big party. However, the tough guys trap all the German officers and concubines in their bomb shelter of the chateau. See, then they screw the tops off these air vents and drop unexploded grenades down into the shelter. But the Germans grab the grenades and get them away from the air shaft. There's some great footage of these Germans going berserk and grabbing the grenades while the women run around screaming. You might ask yourself, why not pile pin one, uh, pull the pin on one grenade and lob it down the shaft? The explosion would clear away the Germans near the shaft, but then you would drop more grenades without any trouble. Now, too simple. Instead, they pour gallons of gasoline down the air shaft and then toss a grenade. And he goes on to say, this is like... This is horrible. What happens to those people? And the fact yeah. that Aldrich really does have a lot of scenes. He does a lot of cutaways yeah. to these people grabbing at the air vents, trying to stop these trying grenades to stop from these there. grenades from going off. And so he's yeah. like, Ebert was like, "This is, the, you know, we we're this falling. is terrible, right? This is this terrible. is What's terrible. Happening. What it's is terrible happening here? That people are these good the guys that we've come to trust, as you said, are getting shot. Yeah. Like, what kind of ending to this very kind of yeah, funny adventure film. Yeah, and then suddenly, once it's, I mentioned it to you that when we saw the Guns of Never, yeah, you like caper movies that these are like yeah. caper films. Yes, they plan, they plan, they plan, they plan, and then they execute. Like I would have liked it at the end of the previous thing where they war games them and he got one over on Breed. Right. Ta-da! Yeah, that's not a satisfying ending to the movie as a whole. Yeah, like the whole plot of the movie, but also. This isn't either, right? Because it's like because what they did real is fucked up a massacre. Yeah, they just slaughter these people. Yeah, now they are armed. On the one hand, the guards are, but yeah. all the officers aren't. 
But again, these are Nazis. They're Nazis. So I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna keep defaulting to right. Those are Nazis though. Um, but it is absolutely a war crime. Right. I mean, yeah. The, but yeah, so <laughs> even also felt like this is what this is really. This film is really fun, and then it suddenly is not fun. It is not fun. Yeah. Um. And really, for me, that uh, starts when Telly Savalas kills that woman. Right. Because it's a sadistic. Yeah, up until then, it's also a very suspenseful thing. Right. Yeah. It's very suspenseful. You know, yeah. I mentioned to you when um, when Sutherland's sitting out there and the guy's asking for a cigarette. Yeah, he wants a cigarette and he doesn't know any German. Right. So he's just trying to like ignore him. Yeah. And so then the guy just comes over and takes the cigarette out of his mouth and lights his right. cigarette off of it. And then just like, does he yeah. put it out on his helmet or something and then it's, gives it back to him? The whole thing is really... And then says, Danka, mm. and then he says, Bitta, and that's it. Right. Like, <laughs> There's another part in that Chateau scene where, I mean, there's funny bits up until the very end. Yeah. Up until, like you're saying, um, Charles Bronson's character is complaining because he doesn't remember enough German. Yeah. So he picks up a book there. It's like, I wish I could read German because this looks filthy. Like it's <laughs> That's funny. Because, you know, yes. all the yes. there on this orgy thing. And so there's a lot of... Yeah. Like, yeah. There's it's a, just very... It's, it's, it's very it's strange. Really strange. It's like yeah. this... This miscalculation of your end game. Yeah. And we've been running in one direction and it turns out we need to get over there. We need to do it fucking quick. Yeah. And, and it's just this very disorienting 15 minutes. And then there's almost no denouement. Yeah. Franco gets shot. They drive away. There's a one-minute scene of Ernest Borgnine going, Good job. You made it, and they'll be war heroes. Right. And credits. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I'm just like, well, that's the what way the fuck just happened? A lot of these films are. And that's something that I think that you've had an issue with watching older movies is that sometimes they just like, and and we're done. We mock Lord of the Rings for its denouement right. problem, but it eases you out of a nine-hour experience that you've had and puts you gently back on the floor. This thing is just like, we get to the end of the cliff and I'm just going to kick your ass off of it. It's like, yeah, like jumping out of an airplane. It's very Walking nice. into the sun after a matinee. You're just like, what the fuck just to me like uh it's it's disorienting the whole the last 15 minutes of this movie are baffling because the other thing is we know that they're going to try and infiltrate this place right before d-day as Mm -hmm. a diversion and to get some of these german officers but we don't know that they're set to like literally kill all of them that wasn't sort of presented in any of the stuff. Yeah, you think that more people are going to escape. You think that there's going to be, and I know it sounds ridiculous to say, well, it's something honorable in the comp, but that's I mean, this obviously is this, the point and, that and, the and, MP makes. And the thing is, like, the, uh, the uh, or another thing is, if this did make you anti-war or whatever, how pissed are you that now in 2022 we do the same shit, only we send a drone to mm. a house with a fucking child's birthday party in it, but there's one dude in there we want to kill, so I guess just blow them all up. We still do that shit. Yeah. We're, do- we're actively doing it right now. So <laughs> we've learned nothing. 
Maybe because the tonal shift was so confusing <laughs> that we could not follow it to the end. But I think that, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what he was aiming at, the director. But It's just odd. It's but it, also odd how it's really... And I, I, no, it's not odd. It's really successful as a film. It's, an, and it's, it's a, a very entertaining movie. Right. Honestly, I would watch it again. I would 100% not watch the end. Right. I don't need to watch them all die in the last 15... And, and commit a mass casualty in right. the last 15 minutes. Like, I see Telus Savalas see that woman. Oh, look. Right. Movie's over. <laughs> I'm done. And again, that's not saying... His performance is really very... His performance is... Good. I very mean, good. In terms of performance. That right? character... is just... Is fucking terrible. Again, and and on once again, this weird ick that is like this ooze through the entire film. Right. Because every time that they focus on him, he's like looking, he's he's like, he looks like a monster. Right. He's always sort of hunched over and sort of filmed from behind in this real weird sort of crouched mm -hmm. way and he's always looking w in this way that is like uh uh that's not mm -mm, right. that's not okay well Donald Sutherland's dee -dee 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 right. in the background <laughs> and it's like what is happening is is the moral of the story that one bad apple spoils the butt and there you go I think that's what we <laughs> did I do it did you I did it, it out. Out. <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> we got here. <laughs> um, okay. Well, was it thrilling? <laughs> I oh yeah, absolutely. I think it was thrilling. Totally. I think so too. It all was right. funny. It was almost sweet at Seriously, times. Seriously, <laughs> right up. Watch it all the way up until you see Telly Savalas peek his head out and look at that woman in the pink dress. Right. Turn it off. Just stop watching Just, it there's now. There's going to be someday. Like, Everything bad's going to happen. You right. don't need it. You've watched an entertaining. There's going to be a, like, a, a Savali less edit. I think. I just at some point just, in the future somebody's gonna do it. Yeah, because um, what he does and then it just devolves in, right. in a real heinous way. So next week uh -huh. we are watching Touch of Evil, Ooh. which I'm very excited about because I'm pretty sure I've never seen it and know nothing about it other than Orson Welles. Orson Welles. Orson Welles. And Orson Charlton Heston is. I didn't know that as Miguel. I. No, oh, no. <laughs> I think you've told me that, and right, I've deflated and the same out, way right. every time because I'm just out. like, no, that's stupid, and I hate it. Oh no, is he? He's actively in brownface. Yes. Awesome. Very brownface, as a matter of fact. Yeah. I'm sitting next to you, so I guess if you don't have a problem with it, I shouldn't have it with it. It's how the movie got made, unfortunately. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I guess that's right. <laughs> so I'm sure that that Orson Welles, had the film been done now and he was alive... Would Orson Welles would have absolutely cast right. a, a person of color if, if that's what the yes. role required. He would have done it then if he could get financing, right. I think. Like, he worked with... Like a black theater, right? right. Like he, he was not. Him. He and John Hausman. He was married to Rita Hayworth. Oh yes. Who also a famous Latina. This, he also worked to defend the um, the uh, young uh, Latinos who were accused of murdering a man at a party. Oh, that's right. And that 
provoked the Zoot Suit Riots. Yes, that's right. So he was responsible for that. So he was an ally before yes, that was, was even a thing. That's nice. Because he is such a dick in so many ways. Well, but at least he wasn't a racist. I, I got, and maybe that's what I can recommend. Oh, yeah. That's um, where we're at. What do we want to... In, there's until a we watch Touch PBS documentary on uh, Franklin Lloyd Wright. Yes. Um, that was When I came out and you said, I'm watching a thing on Frank... It's Frank. Isn't it just right, Frank, Frank Lloyd, Lloyd Wright? Wright? Yeah. I was like, oh, he's a dick. Right. And you're like, he's very talented. I said, that's not what I was talking right. about. I said, he's a dick. It's a Ken Burns <laughs> documentary. Um, so it's really insightful and there's a lot of interesting things that get said, but it's really about how people who are just very talented and very, who are just skilled like that, uh-huh. get a free pass for doing horrible things. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't know that I can say effectively that he paid for what he did there. He had a horrible moment. Um, a couple of them. Where you look at him and go, okay, this must have changed him. But he, it's also about a person who consciously made up their own history yes. and moved forward with it and made up their own sort of legend. Yep. But he really was that talented. He and was. So that's, but he yeah, was a he was, terrible person. He was a terrible person. How he re- repeats the mistakes his parents, you know, his father made, that he was so angry at his father for abandoning him and his family, yep, and then and he goes and abandons his family. Yep. More than and, once, didn't he? Um, I don't well, remember. He, yeah, but there's a not not a good right. But at the same time, just very conscious of creating his genius and the idea that he knew that he was a genius. So he's like, the rules don't apply to me. Yeah, and I, then when something I'm, goes side, and there are things that go really wrong with him. And I don't want to spoil that because when so, I so so you're recommending this documentary. Do you know what it's called? Um, just a second. Okay. I think it's just Frank Lloyd Wright, but probably, but I don't know. I like the idea of spoiling a documentary. Well, <laughs> that should happen though. I, <laughs> the news spoiled it. It's just called Frank Lloyd. It's Wright. just called Frank Lloyd Wright, and it's on the. P- and it's a two-part we, documentary. It's okay. on PBS streaming, and you can get that on Amazon. Yeah, which and we did. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's. It's really interesting. If you have any interest in architecture or yeah. art, interesting. His way of redesigning what we thought were going to work as houses, how successful or unsuccessful he was at this. Uh huh. And the idea that he was just kind of hit this roadblock because both of his, his personal choices in life, which became very public, and then his private choices. Um, and then, or rather, his personal choices and his public choices yeah. for his architecture. Yeah. At times, he was really on the odds with the community yeah. of architects, which I did not know. They were so much like artists in general and just sort of snipey and yeah. weird. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they yeah. they are artists in a lot of cases. Um, like, I know that there are many stories of women meeting with architects who are designing their the homes for them. Mm-hmm. And they put in these clear story windows right. on a 14-foot ceiling, and the woman would be like, how would I clean that? And the architect does not think about what it is to live inside right. of and these spaces. And this is spaces. something that he did. He would de- design napkin rings, down to the napkin yeah. rings. The because chairs, he was very tables. much about how you right. lived in the space and prescriptive about it. Right, exactly. 
that was that sort of my Mind problem you. with him yeah. is he's designing you into a kind of a gross <laughs> place. <laughs> His houses are beautiful. I don't. I mentioned that <laughs> to a friend you, of mine that the beginnings, his early architecture, yeah. I did not care for the exteriors, but the interiors are gorgeous. Okay. And then when he moves into, when he starts, when he's considered a wash-up, uh. and it has been, the European art, uh, the architects are kind of making reference to his work. Yes. He gets called back into action and starts redesigning, and that's yeah, when I began to when like, like his stuff. Yeah. You know the Guggenheim and things like yeah. that. When he starts designing these things with natural light and these. Yes. So whenever he's in concert with nature, I'm more on right. Board. And he was very big about being in concert with nature, um, but he really didn't get successful at it. I feel until later on. But it's a very interesting documentary. Interesting documentary. So what would you like to recommend? I'm going to recommend the movie that you recorded for me that we watched that we mentioned oh, earlier. Oh, okay. good. I left it open for you. And it was called A Soldier's Story. It's from 1984 and it stars Adolf Caesar, Denzel Washington, Howard Rollins, and some other people you might know like David Allen Greer. Um, and it is a movie about... It's weird because I called stuff that I didn't know about it right. in the movie. Um, it's about a black platoon. I don't know if that's the right term because I'm bad at knowing things about the military. Um, who has a an officer of theirs killed and then a black officer, Jag, it looked like, mm. or something like that, that lawyer, uh, uh, army lawyer, officer, captain, I believe he's a captain. Um comes down to do the investigation of what had happened. Uh, and it's not a courtroom drama, but it's the equivalent it's of a like courtroom a, drama. I, I used to get a subscription to Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine. Okay. And that's when I first read about it. Okay. It's like, this is a really good mystery. Yeah. It's a drama. It's, it's based a on a play, right. and it does a really nice job of not letting the right. viewer of the film know it is based on a play. Not because the performances aren't good, but because they made a movie. They made it a up, film. And it's Norman Jewison. Yes. Who directed one of the great movies like this, which is uh, In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. And I will say, it's, it's based on a play called The Soldier's Play, and right. they, dis- they distinctly change the title, which right. I think is important. And then, yeah, Norman Jewison directed a film rather than a right. adaptation of a play. And it has an amazing cast. Yes, it's very, very good. Denzel, right. very young. Very odd. And Roger Ebert <laughs> mentioned something when he reviewed this film. Yeah. He said that, I think it was Siskel or Ebert, when yeah. reviewing it, mentioned that this is one of the first films where black actors for... Anybody who's worked in film or photography, yeah, there's difficulties before there were difficulties before shooting a film with darker and lighter skin. Darker tones. and lighter skin tones at the same. And this place, is a yeah. film that's completely skewed towards looking at how many different kinds. Yes. Of, and you get that the there is all there is a film, large right diversity spectrum. of uh, color in right. this film from the uh, the murdered officer who is very light skinned Mm-hmm. All the way up through, you know, Harold Rollins. Harold Rollins, who is very dark skinned. Yeah, right. that's true. And, really and he's incredible. You uh-huh. can totally see how he played the same character that Poitier played right. in the TV show. Like, he's got an incredible range. And when I was watching it, I almost, I and I looked it up. I was like, uh-huh. is he gay? 
And I don't, there is no indication right. that he was. But he had, he has this vulnerability and humor in this performance yeah. that I ascribe to people, to, to black actors that mm. are gay. I don't like that, like something about that, like, okay. makes me think of people like Billy Porter. Um, so, and maybe it made me think distinctly of Billy Porter, right. and that is why I was like, it's a gay thing, but it might just be a black actor thing. I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm like, he does a, a, there's, um, there's a great sense of his being in charge and then yes. kind of in private moments questioning how he's going to pull this off. How he's going to pull it off. There is a, there is a depth of humanity in that character that is so lovely to witness. Mm -hmm. Um, not just because it's a, it's a black man in the South in 1944, which it is. They're new, they're outside of New Orleans. They're in Louisiana. Um, and he's come down from DC. Um, so not just because of that piece of it, but just for me, Mm -hmm. Anytime I see military men of any stripe at any time period who are allowed to show humanity, yeah. it makes me hopeful <laughs> for our, like for our veterans. Like uh, something about so that is like a thing that I really like to see and I really key in on. And he, there was a lot of that in this. There was a lot of because when I, they come in, they're some of them look like they've been playing baseball and I was like, wait a minute, did they poach all these people to be the army's baseball team? Because that's some shit the army would do. And then you fucking find out that, yeah, that's the whole team. That's what this whole group is. Is the fucking baseball team. They all played for the Negro Leagues before. Fucking of course they did. God damn, America, you can't. Why do you sing to the lows that I made up in my head? Right. <laughs> like, what? I was so mad with that. When that was revealed. But, um, yeah, everybody is phenomenal in this. I was like, oh, I see how Denzel got yes, he's um, just, Malcolm he's X burning from this. The whole time. He is, right. Yes, he is simmering. And and that's a, that's another thing I don't, because I haven't seen Malcolm X yet. I know mm -hmm. I need to. Um, but I'm used to seeing him not with a simmering rage. <laughs> so that is um, a particularly interesting experience for me because... It's new to my experience of Denzel Washington. I also haven't seen Training Day. Like, I, I watch the movies where he's friendly and nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's my preferred version of Denzel. Um, There's also a really good performance by Dennis Lipscomb, who plays the captain who's like a liaison. Yes. And they. That is great, too. Yeah, because he's playing that white guy. Yes. You know, he really... He really wants to be down for the brothers yeah. and just doesn't... Is he's not very, he's awkward all the time. It. He's uncomfortable But around. he, like, legitimately, like... Right. Like, admires these guys' athleticism, mm -hmm. looks at them as people and individuals. Like Right. There's a line that he tells when um, Harold Rollins is describing what he thinks, how they, the crime was pulled off. Yes. He goes, but no, Negroes are not that... Uh, what is it? Devious, and he gets shot. This look like you 
like he's idolized and he's he's idol- yes he's he's like tipped over into whatever <laughs> right. the opposite of stereotype he's pedalist pedestalinging them right. like he's doing this thing yet yeah, where he and as soon as it's possible that they, it's these two white guys, he fucking loses his goddamn mind. Right. He's like, I'm not court martial, I'm not court martial. And I'm just like, dude. And he's like, and Rollins has to just be like, uh, it's not them, we gotta go. Right. Like, <laughs> but the, yeah, he, he does a really good job of playing that guy who is in the middle. Yeah. There's a scene where they're playing baseball and one of the characters that, that I won't go into because yes. this really doesn't, you should not spoil this film. No. Catches a baseball and just really high. Yes. And he stands up and he's cheering and these white officers around him are looking at him like, but Wasn't what? it when CJ made the, he made the Grand Slam? He hit the ball. Oh, that's right. It's not when he grabbed it, it's when he hit and the ball. And then later there was that yeah. super, yeah, but like, you see him cheering and then you see him later standing right. up and everybody around him is looking at him like, you <laughs> right. do not need to be uh, behaving that way <laughs> right, exactly. out here. They're all very unhappy. Like, you know those are black men, right? <laughs> right. Oh, uh, trigger warning, though, for this movie. This movie delves into racism in a really yes. interesting and nuanced way. Uh, and some non-so-nuanced, like there's right. some blatant yes. stuff. Uh, you will hear the N-word with a hard R out of all manner of people, and it's never easier to hear. No. I was—I literally looked at you and I went, that word coming out of a black face doesn't make it better. <laughs> like, no, it and, and the Sarge, Adolf Caesar's part, yes. is really, really difficult to... He's, he's the victim of a murder. But he's not a good dude. He's not. He's not. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's an extraordinarily complex character. And that's kind of what makes this movie watchable yeah. is that all these people are complex. Yeah. And they picked out such a great group of actors. Yeah. Some it, of them it were was really brought really over good. from the actual play. Yeah. Yes. On Broadway, the Broadway performances to do this, including Denzel and Adolf Caesar and. And know, Rollins, I think, too, yeah. right? Yeah. No? No, I don't think no. so. I think he'd just done Ragtime. Oh, okay. But oh, it was okay. some of the others. I, yeah. Including the character plays CJ. Uh, oh, okay. But they... Yeah, he was good, too. Yeah. No, yeah. this is really good. The characters are really, really spectacularly drawn and played. Yeah. The acting is so, so good, but it doesn't... It Like, now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely a play. I see mm-hmm. the parts on the right. stage, right? But it's filmed beautifully as well. And like the music, Herbie Hancock. Yes, yeah, Herbie Hancock. The the, 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 the music, score. the the opening song. Patti Labelle is singing. She plays the right. the woman who who runs the like a speakeasy the local, local yeah pub. local I'm bar and you know fish and chips place right. with music, and she's singing to them. Right. She's singing a song that was perfectly She's in line like a Greek with chorus at times. Yes. the with the yeah with the location. Right. It's a blues song she's singing, but the lyrics to it are what's how ha- it's like a Bond theme song, mm. or what's happening yeah. in the opening as this man is killed. Yeah, it's yeah, it's beautifully it's really, done. It's, it's really really nicely done. So yeah, a soldier story from 1984. It's uh, real good. You, I think you recorded off TCM, right? Yeah, I did. So I think that brings us to the end. Okay. Of this. We will talk about A Touch of Evil next week. Uh, trigger warning for ra- race, race problems. Yes, but this, will be, this film race. is also a lot about race. Bra- brown face, mm-hmm. though. You're going to be watching 
two actors in brown face. And brown play. face. Yeah. So just get right with that, I guess, because that's what I got to do. Like I said, I'm sitting next to you, so I guess I'm going right. to take my cue from you. Um, and uh, until then, you can uh, ask us questions or give us comments or uh, let us know any concerns you may have. I don't know what those might be. No but if I said this. something bad, tell, tell me, please. Um, you can reach us uh, by email at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can reach us on fa- Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Or you can find us on Twitter at LateCommercePod. I would like to remind you to take your medicine. Your medicine. I, amen. And we would like to remind you, better, better late than never. Late.